0: You're listening to What's Literacy, brought to you by Literacy Quebec.
1: Hi, and welcome back, everybody, to the What's Literacy podcast uh, for Poetry Month. My uh, co-host Neve had um, a gentleman on. Neve, you care telling us a little bit about your uh, your most recent guest?
0: Sure. I was talking to Greg Burkett, who's an author, educator, playwright and educational consultant, mostly about slam poetry. So um, I'm going to leave it to him to introduce himself and we can just hop straight in.
1: Sounds great.
2: Uh, First of all, thanks for having me. Um, Yes, my name is Greg Burkett. I'm an educator, um, a playwright, slam poet, father, husband, uh, just, you know, those are some of the things that uh, that I like to uh, let people know upfront when I'm talking about who I am and what it is that I do. That's great. It gives us a picture
0: <laughs> of the full person. Yes. Literacy Quebec came across you and your work at the Reading for the Love of It conference in Toronto, and my colleague Laura was at your workshop and just loved it. And she really wanted uh, to get you on here to the podcast. So I'm so glad you're joining us.
2: That's awesome. Thank you so much.
0: And is that a big part of your work? And with uh, how you advocate or you spread the word about slam poetry is through educational events like that?
2: Certainly. Um, so I'm an educational consultant. Now, uh, my sister and I, we have um, a company called Burkitt Educational Consulting Incorporated. Um, and We do different uh, workshops and uh, we do PD for staff as well as presentations for students. I was a classroom teacher for quite some time and then I transitioned into guidance counseling and now I'm doing educational consulting. So it gives me an opportunity to share with teachers some of the things that worked with me in the classroom. And uh, because I love poetry, uh, in in particular slam poetry, I like to show that uh, slam poetry is actually a legitimate um, genre within poetry, right? So we often think of some of the o- other genres that are more established like sonnets and synquins and stuff like that. But um, I like to um, have educators understand that bringing slam poetry into the classroom is just as effective as any other uh, style of poetry that you can introduce to your students.
0: Lovely, and this is a really great follow on from our last episode when I interviewed the educators who bring hip hop into the classroom.
2: Right, right. The slam poetry, in some ways, spoken word, uh, it's like a a cousin of hip-hop, right? So um, when you're bringing those, I guess, quote-unquote non-traditional forms into the classroom, sometimes you feel like you have to show how they are legitimate and how they can um, convey the same kinds of um, meaning and, and use the same kind of literary devices as some of the other poetry that, uh, that's more traditional and that has been around for a longer period of time. So uh, it's important for me, and I'm sure it is for them as well, uh, to really express that slam poetry and spoken word and, and, and hip hop are different ways that you can actually engage students and have them feel as though uh, you know, you're doing something current and something uh, that they can relate to versus sometimes bringing in some of the older forms that they find uh, challenging with regards to, you know, where's the entry point for me? Mm -hmm. This is something that, you know, is from the past and this isn't the way I speak. This isn't about my reality. I think that slam poetry and hip hop are a great way to to be able to do that.
0: Absolutely. And I can see how some educators might feel like they have to justify it, like you're saying that it's legitimate. It's It's absolutely relevant and welcome in the classroom.
2: For sure. Because, you know, you're going to get back from parents as well as students mm-hmm. um you know asking why are we looking at this when you know other other teachers are looking at that or they, you know in the past these are the only types of poems that i've i've studied and this is the type of literature that we think is legitimate right so you do have to actually almost defend it sometimes when you're bringing it to them and let them know you know this is legitimate and um you know we're not shortchanging you and having you mm-hmm. study something that isn't going that's going to disadvantage you rather so yeah, sometimes we do feel the, the need to defend it.
0: Yeah, I can I can imagine. But I can also see how it's actually an addition. You know, everything's relevant. And like you say, it's bringing something that's current and relevant to yourself and your students, maybe not all of them, but something that, that is current and maybe more familiar to some of them or more relatable.
2: Exactly, 100%. Yeah, fantastic.
0: Yeah. And can you tell us how you got involved in Slam poetry? Does it go way back or?
2: Yeah, it does. Um, You know, I started out writing writing raps, writing hip hop, um, or participating in hip hop. So I remember, um, you know, one day I was walking home from school with my friend, I was probably in like grade 10 or maybe 11, not sure. And I was freestyling and he liked what he was hearing and he let me know. And that was the first time someone had actually you know, sort of encouraged me to to do what I was doing or what I thought was just something that, you know, was just a hobby and that I would, you know, not necessarily put out there. Um, But he liked what I was doing, so I went home that evening and I started writing some more rhymes and putting them down. And um, after that, I started, uh, you know, freestyling or or, uh, just getting involved in, I guess, what you call ciphers, right? So individuals all um, in a circle usually, right, or just a group of us um, coming together, someone um, making the, the, the beat with their mouth, right, beatboxing, um, and <clears throat> just sort of taking turns coming in and, and, uh, and you know, dropping your rhymes. Um, so I started to do that a little bit more. Then I ended up forming a group, and uh, the three of us actually uh, recorded a demo CD. Back then it was uh, <laughs> CDs, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had this demo CD, and we were beginning to shop it. I was also DJing and stuff like that in, in, uh, in clubs and... Um, and at different dances. And I didn't necessarily like the direction um, where things were going. found myself in some dangerous venues and some dangerous situations and I didn't necessarily like the direction of, um, uh, I don't know if I want to say the direction of hip-hop, but what I felt like I needed to do in order to be heard and to rap about some things that I was uncomfortable rapping about. So um, I I started thinking about slam poetry. wasn't too familiar uh, with it, but I had heard a, a little bit about it. So I had heard this group called uh, Black Star with Most Deaf and Talib Kweli, and this song in particular, "Respiration." It really felt as though it was this marriage between hip hop and and poetry, and uh, not that I mean, because rap music really is poetry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it just felt like this was even more poetic. It had a lot of literary devices and. Uh, the way they were describing New York and the city breathing and things of that nature. It felt like it was this, you know, this big uh, metaphor. Um, you know, they were talking about New York City and using all of these different symbols and and just uh, different poetic devices, as I said before, to, to speak about it. And I thought, you know, it was really cool. And it didn't feel... Uh, didn't feel corny didn't feel watered down didn't feel like you know if you did this you would lose street cred or anything right, like right. that right um so I, I found it fascinating and i decided then that you know i would i would take a go at it right and and try to actually um write what i f- uh, initially started out with as sort of calling uh street sl- uh, sorry street poetry mm-hmm. um where it was hip hop but without the beat so it was sort of stripped down unplugged um and then from there listening to other Spoken word artists and slam poets and uh, sort of uh, gearing my 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 poetry in that direction, and uh, I started writing slam poetry from there. Uh, in addition to that, I started writing plays as well, and I mm-hmm. had the opportunity or I had the idea of writing a play where the dialogue would be entirely in slam poetry. So all of the um, all of the characters were speaking to each other in slam poetry and that went over quite well we had opportunity to stage it at the toronto fringe festival and it received some positive reviews so um from there i kept writing plays and kept writing poetry and and um i was able to have one of my pieces published in an anthology um the great black north uh which was a compilation of a lot of different black poets across canada um their work right compiled in this anthology and and um, I've had you know, the opportunity to perform my, my pieces at uh, various venues throughout uh, throughout the city.
0: That's really fantastic and impressive. And as a playwright myself, I've, I've written a few things back in the day and some have been staged. I have yes. to ask you, the other plays that you went on to write, were they all of the same format, all slam poetry?
2: No, okay. um, but they all include slam poetry. So, um, you know, uh, another play that I wrote after uh, after that one, that one was called Do You Remember Me? And it was basically, lo- basically looking at the Black family throughout history and some of the different things that have impacted uh, the Black family. So the Black family in Africa and um, enslavement and how enslavement um, impacted the Black family, and then mm-hmm. even how anti-Black racism now, um, you know, impacts the black family. So that play was, you know, that that was the feature. And, and the, we had um, couples through time speaking to each other, and they were speaking to each other in slam poetry. Since then, I've written different plays um, for a lot of different events. Uh, one of my plays was called Pie- Pieces of a Black Woman's Soul. And it was looking at the really um, unique experience of black women in Western society. and that uh, included elements of slam poetry but it wasn't entirely the dialogue wasn't entirely in slam poetry so there were times when um, a character might be reflecting on a particular situation and in the reflection she might speak um, you know slam poetry right and sort of like a soliloquy kind of a thing but um, the entire dialogue wasn't in slam poetry.
0: That's really wonderful. And yeah, the challenge of writing an entire dialogue uh, for a play in slam poetry is really um, impressive. And I'll be excited to read that or Mm. see if it's ever been revived. I mean, how long ago was that, that it was at the Fringe, Toronto Fringe? Oh,
2: that was actually 2012. So so it's been a while. Um, But after that, we did perform it at a ton of venues throughout the GTA, um, everywhere from churches to libraries to community centers um, so it did sort of and schools as well actually so mm-hmm. it did do a little bit of a um, a greater Toronto area tour um, but really the the highlight was uh, at the fringe festival
0: yeah I can imagine that would be fantastic to perform at that and to have something you've written yes. do you perform in your own place ever
2: no I never uh, have made a cameo I've thought about it uh, <laughs> but uh, you know I, I get so nervous when I see my stuff up there. Uh, you know I, I I stand beside the director for the entire time and um, you know there are times when uh, you know I just feel like if I were to get out on stage I'd probably be all tongue-tied and wouldn't be the best <laughs> example for my actors and they'd be like the re- the writer's spoiling the play right? So
0: yeah, <laughs> get him out of here yeah exactly yeah get someone else
2: right so I um, you know I think I could and I, I I believe that I could, but the, the pressure and just sort of um, hoping that everything goes well and, and, you know, the stress and anxiety that's sometimes connected to that because it's such a vulnerable thing when you put your stuff out mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, I really prefer to just leave it, leave it to the actors. And I'm present at all of the um, all of the practices, and if uh, an actor is away, sometimes I'll step in and, and read and, and, you know, participate in that way. But actually getting up on the stage... With them, it's totally different. But for myself, to perform my slam poetry pieces, uh, you know, I can definitely do that. And I've performed um, even with my daughter and my son as well. I, you know, I perform pieces right. with them also. But uh, as part of the play, no, I, I, I think I'll take a. Uh, you know, I'm I'm better yeah. off backstage.
0: <laughs> yeah, give yourself a break there. Yeah, I, and I can understand it from that point of view of putting yourself out there. For you're sure. already putting yourself out there as this uh, creation you're sharing the yes. whole dialogue. So to put yourself out there on another level as a performer as well
2: yeah
0: Um, yeah, I can imagine and I can I can certainly relate for sure maybe someday I
2: know Tyler Perry does that kind of stuff but uh, you know I don't know if I'm I'm there yet but we'll see
0: you have a lot going on yeah I do for sure (laughs) and can you tell us a little bit about slam poetry just in a little bit more detail say like how you would advise people to approach it if they wanted to get involved mm-hmm. or learn more about it, or how you, your your process even when you're creating.
2: So slam poetry really, at its essence, is performance poetry. So when you're writing it, you're writing it generally with the intention to perform it, right? Um, when you're writing, let's say, uh, I don't know, a, a haiku, um, you're not necessarily writing it to be performed. Um, though, you know, you, you can perform haiku for sure and, and um, you know, all the other different styles of poetry, sonnets, um, but when you are writing slam poetry, generally speaking, you're writing it to be performed, so it's a little bit different. Because as you're writing it, I know for myself anyways, as I'm writing it, I'm thinking about what my face is gonna look like when I say certain things, what kind of gestures I'm going to make with my hands, with my body. Um, It's a whole performance, right? So, uh, you know, you're you're sort of writing it with that in mind. So it's a bit of a different approach. When I approach slam poetry and spoken word, spoken word and sign poetry th- there aren't too many conventions right so with a synquin it's got to be five lines long or you know with a haiku and um you know all those kind co- there, there are different conventions and rules and recipes that go into writing uh those kinds of pieces of poetry but with spoken word it's a little more loose and free verse uh free-flowing so it can rhyme if you want it to uh it doesn't have to rhyme if you don't want it to I come out of the hip hop tradition, so I like it to rhyme. I like to use a lot of in rhymes to make uh, my work sound a little more complex. Um, I like to use multi-syllable rhymes as well so that uh, it's just not really uh, this sort of um, A-A-B-B, very Mm -hmm. uh, basic, you know, sort of cat in the hat type of um, poetry. I like to, uh, you know, my sister used to call it verbal gymnastics, right? So I like to uh, complexify it and just really um, show out and, and do some things that are, um, that for the audience can be really engaging. So my mm-hmm. process really, you know, I like to to think about multi-syllable rhymes in rhymes. I like to definitely uh, be very descriptive and, and use imagery to really uh, engage audiences. And then above all, I think the themes uh, that I like to tackle in my poetry really sort of motivate me um, to, to get something done and to make sure that I'm trying to represent other voices, right? So um, I wrote a piece shortly after the murder of George Floyd. Actually, I'd started it before um, George, the, the murder of George Floyd. But after that happened, I was inspired to to finish it. And it was called Suspect Black Male. And it was really mm-hmm. connected to just sort of the way I move through the world and how I feel, um, you know, being followed when I go into a store. Uh, I was pulled over once by the police and given a ticket for having snow on my license plate during a snowstorm and Uh you know kind of questioned Mm -hmm. the officer about it went home um one of my sisters told me to to call one of our friends who happens to be an officer and and just you know sort of run run it by him tell him what happened and and get his feedback i explained to him what happened and he asked me what kind of car i was driving what neighborhood i was in and he said you know that's easy the officer actually thought that you were a drug dealer. That's the type of ticket that we give to drug dealers to let them know that we're onto them, make it a little more difficult for them to move around the city. So yeah. moving through life, feeling like a suspect and looking at, um, you know, sort of where my I, uh, my gender and my race um, combine that intersectionality and then I'm seen as, uh, you know, as a suspect. I wanted to write a piece that articulated that and then especially seeing what happened to George Floyd, um, you know, it just made... Made it that, uh, gave me that much more of a sense of urgency to get the piece done. Um, a lot of my friends at the time, uh, it was the height of COVID, so I, I wanted to make a video to go along with it and put it on um, social media, but we couldn't get together. So I asked them, I said, you know, I just want you to record your face um, for five seconds, what your face looks like when you think about what happened to George Floyd. And they all did, and they sent it in to me, and I had over, over 50. Um, men from uh, across Canada and the United States um, send in, uh, you know, this five second shot of themselves. And I included it, included it rather in the video. And it felt as though and the feedback that I got, it felt as though I was speaking on behalf. And mm-hmm. that's really, you know, powerful. And that's sort of where um, my I, my head is when I'm writing pieces like that. So uh, I guess that's a little bit of my process.
0: Wow. And... That's fascinating and um, very inspirational too. Mm. And I, I'll be checking out that video wow. <laughs> after this and of course putting it in our show notes so everyone else can check it out too. Thank you. Um, a lot of the slime poetry I have watched, which I admittedly none of it has ever been in person or live, but I've watched videos. And I do notice that it is a very personal theme in nearly every I'm mean, now I haven't been... Exposed on a major level, but I'm certainly interested in learning more now and exploring more. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it tends to be so raw. Yes. Is what I feel when I watch these videos of slam poetry, and I can't imagine being in the audience. I get yeah. goosebumps just watching on video. Right. You know. So, it's it's a really powerful performance.
2: Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Um. Again, like I said, from uh, you know, in comparing it to other. Uh, styles of poetry it there's just so much room for you to do so much as a slam poet you can be a political commentator right you can Mm -hmm. um, you can really uh, be an activist for social justice you can um, be very vulnerable and emotional and talk about things that are are quite personal so there's just so much room for you to do so many different things and to go so many different directions with slam poetry and I find that it can be very effective in the classroom because it gives kids the Mm -hmm. opportunity then to talk about those kinds of things as well and I remember um, a Muslim student in my class talking about uh, wearing the hijab and what it meant to her and it was just so powerful for her to be able to open up and be vulnerable and talk about that and talk about um Uh, some of the challenges that she's faced, but then also the pride, um, you know, in her culture and and, uh, with her spirituality as well. So, uh, you know, I I just feel as though it, sign poetry just, there's no limits uh, with regard Mm -hmm. to what you can talk about, how you can present it, and and really how engaging and effective it can be.
0: And it provides that space for someone to do that. And for students, especially, and young students, um, to have this new method of sharing and expressing themselves. I I think it's uh, really relevant and really interesting to see it uh, in the classroom and how it can make some changes and affect lives, just like the hip hop as well. Yes,
2: exactly, exactly. And it uses vernacular that they're probably familiar with as well, or they can Mm -hmm. insert vernacular that they're familiar with and feel comfortable with inserting it as well. So again, it's just another level of expression really.
0: As we've circled back around to education now, would you like to tell us a little bit more about uh, Burkitt Educational Consultants?
2: Sure. So um, myself and my sister were educated in the system here in Canada. My family is originally from the Caribbean. I was born here in Canada, in Mm -hmm. Toronto. Um, And the rest of my siblings came over when they were quite young, so their educational careers really have uh, taken place here in Canada. And we went through the system and it felt as though there were things that were lacking, right? So our experience in particular, the Black Canadian experience, anytime anyone spoke of uh, anything to do with uh, the Black experience or Black history, it was often uh, told through an African-American lens or an African-American perspective, but not Mm -hmm. the Black Canadian experience. And a lot of people are surprised to know that black people have been in this country for over 400 years. Um, Of course, Canada isn't 400 years old, but I'm talking about the region that we now call Canada. Black people have been here for over 400 years, and a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that enslavement. Um, occurred here in, in uh, Canada for 200 years. They don't know that we had segregation, and um, segregation was widely practiced in different parts of, of the country that we now, uh, or this region that we now call Canada. Um, so there are a lot of different things, a lot, all of the things that we find engaging and uh, you know that draws into the African-American experience, it happened here in Canada. Um, maybe not with the same numbers because we don't have as many people, um, here in Canada. But the same types of things happened. And we felt as though, uh, you know, when we were going through the school system here, if we wanted to know anything about the Black Canadian experience or even the Black experience, we had to find it out on our own time, um, you know, finding our own resources to know about it. And sometimes if you tried to actually weave it into assignments and things of that nature, um, it wasn't always accepted uh, the way mm-hmm. that you wanted it to be. So, going through post-secondary and and uh, being given some more options and opportunities to take courses that uh would expose you to these kinds of things we felt as though you know as well when we all ended up becoming educators so i've i've got five, four other siblings so five of us in total and four out of the five are educators right so wow. um yeah three teachers and one professor um so you know once we started our careers as educators I think, you know, without even talking to each other, sort of subconsciously, we all felt as though we wanted to start weaving some of this Black Canadian experience into our teaching pedagogy, and, mm-hmm. um, or into our teaching practices and our, our everyday pedagogy. So we started doing just that, and um, we had the opportunity, three of us anyways, to work together and collaborate and uh, be part of the writing team for a Black History textbook. And uh, that was a really cool experience. But after that, we um, we were still sort of trying to find ways that we could do this. We had an opportunity to speak to or pitch an idea for another book to Nelson uh, Education, and that was during COVID. And they said, you know, we're not too sure about print right now, but um, we do have a professional learning series that um, maybe you wouldn't be uh, wouldn't mind uh, participating in. And we said, yeah. And then they gave us the freedom to actually. Uh, come up with something on our own and and pitch it to them propose it to them and they liked it and um, we we uh, named it rather see us learn us teaching Mm -hmm. the black canadian experience Um, and with the whole see us learn us it's you know we're we're visible you see us in the classroom but do you understand us do you know about um you know all of the prior knowledge that we bring into the classroom and a lot of black students um you know this one this one uh incident really stands out to me we were having a professional development. Actually, sorry, it was it was more of a uh, a workshop with educators and black students, and um, we were all in a circle talking. Family of schools, so certain um, certain educators, a few educators rather, and some students that we brought from our schools. We're all sitting in a circle, and the uh, the goal was basically to have black students voice, uh, you know, some of, some of the gaps that they saw in the system. And uh, let us know, you know, how we can address those gaps. And this one student said, in my grade 10 Canadian history class, I'd like to learn more black history. And this teacher, um, he's a white teacher, he jumped out of, off of his chair and said, um, we'd love to tell you more, but black people haven't come to this country until the 1960s, so there isn't much for us to tell you. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I did a hard blink and, uh, you know, uh, collected myself and and spoke to him. And really, I knew that uh, as challenging as it was to hear him say that, I think that it was just coming from a place of ignorance. He just didn't know Mm -hmm. any better because there are gaps in his education. Right. I went through the system myself and I know that we didn't talk about it so if there are gaps in educators education then clearly there's going to be gaps in the education that we're giving the students so those kinds of things inspired us um, to really try to see if we could uh, impact teaching practices and um, Nelson gave us the platform to be able to talk to teachers across the country so from Newfoundland and uh, the Maritimes all the way over to BC we, we uh, are able to speak to teachers in this uh, professional learning environment and uh, this platform that we have and it's a uh, it was a nine part webinar. We've shortened it to five, but engagement is is uh really really um really really good actually. And we're we're able to impact educators that way. And uh, it's just it's just been going well. We do a whole bunch of other things. We go into schools and we do professional development for teachers. We do workshops for students. Um, we write um, for Nelson's digital platform Edwin, and we just do a bunch of different things and. Uh, we're excited to do what we do. We like it and we feel like we're, we're really making a difference.
0: That's really great and so good to hear. And, you know, myself personally, I come from a privileged position because I, I studied history for my degree, you know, in university. Yeah. So I would know, I would have a general good understanding, but you can see where this ignorance comes from when people just don't know. And when you talk about slavery or... Um, Emancipation—you automatically think of the African American experience and what you've heard about that, and the movies, and just yes. the representation. So you can—you—you—and you've expressed an understanding mm-hmm. for these teachers or educators or people in general who just don't know
2: exactly, right? Yeah. And, I mean, you know, things are getting better, but sometimes what we do is we take one individual and we push that person forward and the entire experience is wrapped up in this person so for instance right now um viola desmond's um experience is very popular right and you know we sort of put her forward and we talk about what happened Mm -hmm. to her in that theater in nova scotia and um oddly enough we call her the canadian rosa parks but what she did actually was done before rosa parks did uh what she did in the united states so um you know again it just shows that we often compare our experience here to the african-american experience because uh that's the one that uh you know you find more in the media nonetheless um what happened with viola desmond was not a one-off uh it it actually happened twice in that same theater before it happened to viola desmond um so it you know with her with what happened with regard to her situation it had been happening across canada and it happened after Viola Desmond as well. We didn't have um, Jim Crow the way that the Americans did, but in um, practices as well as in uh, court cases, Jim Crow or, or segregation was enforced here in Canada in various different ways. We did have segregated schools. We had uh, segregated theaters and different things, uh, You know, even segregated um, uh, recreational facilities, right? Ice rinks and things like that. Even segregated cemeteries. So even in death, there was segregation, yeah. right? So what, is that, what does that let you know about, um, you know, belonging, right? So um, those kinds of things, we want to talk about those things. We also want to talk about Black excellence as well, right? Um, mm-hmm. black, black contributions to, to, uh, to Canada and, and the fact that um, there's a politician named Mif- Mifflin Gibb, um, who lived in uh, British Columbia, who was very instrumental in having BC become a part of the Confederation, to be uh, becoming a part of Canada. A lot of people don't know these things, right? So we wanna talk about these things, get these things out there so that um, black students see themselves reflected in the curriculum, but also all Canadian students uh, realize and understand the longevity and, um, and the contributions that black people have with regards to, um, to Canada and the Canadian narrative. When we talk mm-hmm. about uh, Canadian history, black Canadian history needs to, uh, to be a part of that as well
0: absolutely i would love to talk to you <laughs> so much longer
2: about this but unfortunately
0: we're going to have to uh start wrapping up here sure. and as we wanted to talk to you uh this month in particular as it's poetry month yes. um i thought i'd ask it, we'd circle back now to poetry and see did you have any anyone you wanted to share or a favorite poet or something you want to recommend people go check out
2: mm-hmm. uh, as
0: even if it's their first time engaging with poetry just to tip a toe in. Would you have any recommendations or favorites? Oh man. Um that's <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> that's a good one.
2: Um you know uh there, there, there's so many um uh poets that I you know that I, I that I look up to um you know if you're if you're interested uh you can always check out stuff on YouTube there is, um, you know, and it's not, it's not on anymore, but you can look back and you can look at uh, mm-hmm. deaf poetry, um, deaf jam poetry, rather. Uh, there are tons of, of artists there. Um, you know, for me, I really like to keep my stuff clean. Um, so if you're not into uh, the cursing and and um, some, of, some of the other um, types of things that can be discussed sometimes in slam poetry, please feel free uh, to check out my um my Instagram, which is mm-hmm. Greg B, G R E G B, and then underscore W R I T E S. So that's Greg B underscore rights. Um, I've also got stuff on YouTube as well. Same thing on my YouTube channel, Greg B underscore rights. Um, so feel free to, to uh, hit me up or to uh, check my stuff out on Instagram or on YouTube. And, um, you know, we can, we can engage in dialogue as well. If you wanna uh, DM me and, and talk about the stuff, uh, you know, feel free to do that as well. But um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad that there's a month that acknowledges poetry and the way that, uh, you know, you can use poetry to express and to engage people, sometimes in, in things that are, are difficult to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, racism or poverty or, um, uh, you know, discrimination or uh, different political, pol- politically charged um, uh, topics, right? So I like to use slam poetry to, uh, to address those kinds of things. And I find it's an easier way to, uh, or an entry point into the mm-hmm. discussion with some of those uh, types of topics with people.
0: Absolutely. That's been my impression. And I'm so excited uh, about exploring more and learning more now.
2: For sure. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much, Greg. It's been wonderful having you on the show. And maybe we'll have you on again sometime soon. That would be great.
2: Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Neve and Greg, for a great episode. Uh, Neve, how'd you find Greg? Sounds like it's a great follow up interview to the uh, educators who you spoke to during the uh, Toronto conference.
0: Yes, at the Reading for the Love of It conference, and that's where we met Greg as well. And absolutely, it was a nice little uh, continuation of that sort of theme of poetry. And yes, it was an absolute pleasure talking to Greg, and we had a lot in common as well in terms of. Writing for the stage and history, we both studied history, so yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. And I would just like to say thanks again to Greg, and uh, I hope our listeners enjoyed it as much as I did.
1: I have no doubt that they did. Thanks, thanks for that. It was an awesome interview.
0: Thanks, everyone.
1: Thanks everyone for listening to the What's Literacy podcast with your hosts Neve and Jeff. This is the perfect opportunity to remind you about our free literacy helpline, which you can reach at one triple eight five two one. 8181, which is for English-speaking Quebecers requiring reading, writing, and or digital literacy skills help. We'd also ask that you consider subscribing, sharing our podcast, or writing to us with ideas or comments using podcast at literacyquebec.org, leaving a voicemail at 514-508-6805, or subscribing to YouTube facebook or our instagram pages using the handle at literacy quebec once again thanks so much for your support take care